Let's turn together to uh, Genesis chapter 5. And we will make our way to Hebrews 11 and end up in Proverbs. I mean, we're going crazy tonight. So uh, We're continuing a series through uh, Hebrews 11. Last week we uh, looked at the story of Abel and Cain. Uh, today we're going to look at what is really not much of a story at all. Um, it's really not a lot of text to work with. And, but there's actually a lot of content to work with, I guess. Uh, it's kind of two different things. But look at, if you look in chapter 5, um, what, what Hebrews 11 does is it's constantly pointing back to the, just some heroes of the faith. Uh, people who, uh, you could have just said their name, and folks who uh, were of the Jewish faith, they would know, they know exactly who you were talking about, exactly what happened. Um, and so, uh, in, in those who had become Christians at, at some point, converted to Christianity, uh, there, maybe some who were Jewish, they knew exactly the story of, of Cain and Abel, but maybe some who were, who were not Jewish, maybe they didn't know that backstory. And so, chapter 11 does this really uh, brilliant job of, of telling just enough for us to all kind of know the context of what's going on. And the whole point is, um, the writer of Hebrews is saying, okay, we're called to live by faith, not by sight. Sometimes that's really clear and very evident what that looks like. And other, other times, we, just, we really need some examples to follow. So he just rattles off example after example after example, saying, if you want us to know what it looks like in flesh and blood, here's an example, and here's another one, here's another one. Um, so uh, we get to the point in, in Hebrews 11 where he talks about Enoch. And Enoch, uh, what's, what we know about him is found in Genesis chapter 5. And there's a pattern that, that you can see um, that maybe, maybe it makes sense, maybe it doesn't. But if you look, uh, look at verse 6 in chapter 5. What happens in 5 is that it's this series of, of genealogies uh, that, goes, that basically connects Adam to Noah. And uh, just by going through the firstborn in these families. And there's a pattern that's set up. And so you can look in verse uh, 6 says, when Seth had lived 105 years, uh, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years total, okay? And, and he died, all right? So if you're 900 years old, yeah, you're about ready to die, right? Uh, not, real, not real sure, uh, when it comes to some of these numbers, they get pretty high in the hundreds of years old, um, and a lot of different explanations are offer, offered about why, you know, is this years, like we know years, is it the same thing or whatever? And most people just believe, yeah, like it's years as, as we know them. Um, and there isn't a lot of reason to think anything else. But you'll notice after the flood, like after Noah's Ark, that flood, uh, the lifespan gets shorter. And it's gotten progressively shorter uh, over time. But that, that before the flood, people just lived a lot longer. Um, and the whole, the whole key to this, the point of chapter 5 is to connect, like I said, Adam to Noah, for you to see how, how the generations came after him. Um, and to point out that at each step along the way, this is the pattern. Seth had a child, and then uh, after he lived a certain number of years, then Seth died. And then that child 
uh, he had a kid, and he lived a bunch of years, and then he died. And then that kid had a kid, and after certain years, he died. And, and the point is, you go back to Genesis 3, when, when everything went wrong, a part of the uh, consequences of sin, um, it, like that's where death entered into the world. That before, like when God created things, his intent was not to create death, it was to create life. But that is what sin does, a sin, sin brings death upon us. And so one thing we learn from chapter 5 is that like we see this is the generation that now lived under, under the curse of sin, that each of them came to a point where they passed away. Um, and then we get to Enoch. And Enoch, like the pattern I just showed you for Seth, it's that way from generation to generation to generation to generation. And then the seventh generation, we see something different. So look at 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. It's a good baby name for those of you who are looking for one. Methuselah. Um, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. So you have like six generations of this kind of pattern being established of, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened, and then he died. And this happened, this happened, and then he died. And it gets to Enoch, and it says, oh, no, he didn't die. He just wasn't. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So that's what we know about God, uh, about Enoch at this point, is that he did not die. That in this chapter, and then after him it goes back to that same pattern, but in this chapter, in Genesis 5, there's this one person... That God decides to point out, this, this person didn't die. This person didn't succumb to this, the curse of sin. That God just took him. That he, he didn't pass away. He went to be with the Lord without experiencing death. And this is not the point of the sermon, but this is a side thing. Okay, That what we see here is the fact that God has the final word and not sin and not death. That God is the boss. And God can do what he wants to do. And it's not to say that all these other people were out of God's favor and Enoch was in his favor because he didn't experience death. And we're not connecting all these dots. What Enoch tells us in part is it's foreshadowing the fact that sin and death, they're, just, they're not the final authority for us. What happened with Enoch is foreshadowing what happens to anyone who is in Christ. That you die a physical death, but you live on for eternity with him. So in the beginnings of the Bible, God's been like, hey, guess what? There's hope for this. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. So Enoch is an example to us of, uh, of what is to come and what life in Christ looks like. Um, but the, the other thing we need to zero in on is when you look, it, there's twice in, in these few little verses about him that it says that he walked with God. Okay, in verse 22, um, it says Enoch walked with God. And then in 24, it says it again, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So when you look into the like, original language stuff, you look in the Hebrew, um, there's a literal, like walked with God, there's a literal like, connotation with that, like, like two people walking together down the street. You know? like, there's this companionship you know, that's a part of it. So Enoch walked like, in a companion-type relationship with God himself, but it also has a, a meaning that brings with it as well the fact that this was, a, this was a lifestyle kind of phrase in Hebrew. 
This wasn't like a one, you know, he had a, he had a day where he was really close with the Lord. It's like, no, no, that's, let's describe this guy's life in, in a phrase while he walked with God. Like that was a pattern of lifestyle. It was a relational description of what it was like. like that's how he lived his life. It's how it was carried out. So those are the big things we know about Enoch. One, that he didn't die, which foreshadows Jesus. The second thing, that while he was living, all those years that he was alive, he's described as having an ongoing, living, breathing, walking, consistent relationship with God, the creator of the universe. All right? So now let's jump over to Hebrews 11. Let's see what Hebrews has to say about Enoch. We'll start in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Alright, I want to read that one again. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Okay, we, we knew that, right? And he was not found because God had taken him. Okay, we knew that. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So we have to, we have to connect two things together, all right? So when, when Paul, who is writing uh, in Greek and, and in a completely different time, when, he's, when he says that he pleased God, he's connecting like that phrase and walked with God are kind of, they, they're related to each other. They're not mirror images of each other, but they're, they're related, that he pleased God, that he walked with God, that those two go kind of hand in hand. That's what he was commended for, is for his relationship with God, which is rooted in faith. It says, by faith all this stuff happened. And in verse 6, or so after it says uh, he, uh, that uh, he was having pleased God, verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. So that's what... What the writer of Hebrews is informing is like, okay, this is why God was so pleased with Enoch. That's why Enoch like, was able to walk with God and have this relationship uh, is because he did so in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Enoch did please him. Therefore, Enoch had faith, walked by faith, lived by faith. There is faith that's there. Um, without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. Whoever would draw near to God, what does that sound like? Relationship, right? Proximity, right? A relational connection. Whoever would draw near to God must have faith, believing that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's helping us understand this, this little, little, you know, two or three verses in, this, in the middle of this genealogy that most of us like to skip over. You know, you, sometimes you get those genealogies when you, you're like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a week, you know, or whatever. And you start going through and you're reading and you get to that stuff and you're like, this is so boring. And the writer of Hebrews goes back and says, hey, this little thing right here, guess what that means? That means that this dude, he walked with God by faith and that pleased God. And it pleased God in, in a very unique way so that he, he was the one that God chose to show, hey, death doesn't have the final word. I do. And so you walk with God by faith. So I was thinking about that. And, and that, like, that's it in a lot of ways as far as like the Enoch part of the story. You know? 
There's no narrative. There's no like plot twist or whatever. Like that's it. That's all that we know. And so I was really th- like trying to think, and, and like, okay, so what is that? What does this mean that he walked with him? And I started to, to like almost like say it out loud, not in a weird literal way, but like think about like how strange it is in like inside like church culture, like how much we just throw around this phrase, this idea of like you know, having a relationship with God. You know, you ever have people would be like, well, you know, like my walk has been really, you know, kind of dry lately and stuff. And, um, you know, how's your, how's your relationship with the Lord? It's like, oh, it's been, you know, kind of up and down or I don't know, this, 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 this. And, and how like we're kind of describing this stuff and, and here we are, we go into uh, these new kind of ways of doing community groups together and we, like we start off with a whole first third of the time together is all about, how, how are you relating to the Lord? And to us, like, I guess there comes a point, like, when you've been in the church long enough, it sounds, like, really normal. And then I kind of wonder, like, if someone doesn't have that kind of background or isn't familiar with that vernacular, it probably just sounds really weird. You know? Like, what do you mean your relationship with Jesus? You know? That sounds really strange. And then maybe sometimes we're saying that stuff and we're talking about our walk and we're describing all these kind of things, but maybe we like, don't always have the most like, solid understanding of it either. But it's, just, it's almost like, like you're not supposed to like, admit that sometimes. You know? you're not supposed to, it's not cool to be like, I don't really understand what a relationship with God means because everybody else seems to have it all figured out, so you don't want to be the one to be like, oh, I'm not real sure about that. And maybe you've been around church for a long time and so you're even more insecure about being vocal about that stuff. And the reality is that nobody in that room, in your community group, or nobody in this room, like nobody is, has arrived. You know? Nobody's sitting there being like, I got this whole thing figured out. Let me just let me download some knowledge into all y'all for a few minutes or whatever. And nobody's doing that. But I think they're, like, the thing is, like, we're, we're kind of like, a, I talked about this in the, the college community group last week. We're kind of like, like a support group you know, we're all sitting around and like, we're all there because we all kind of have the same, the same struggles, the same goals, the same desires. Um, but it's really, it takes a lot of courage to be some of the first ones to kind of put themselves out there and be like, well, this is kind of what it's like for me. And this is kind of what I don't understand. And this doesn't make a lot of sense. And this and this and this. And this thing you know, like everybody's like chiming in. And then it's okay, but nobody wants to be the first one, you know, to do that. And so I'm, I'll be the first one tonight to kind of just be like, hey. A relationship with God, put it, in, put it in quotes, it doesn't always make perfect sense. Um, and as a pastor, there are plenty of times when, when someone is sitting there and, and they're talking, they're like, you know, like when I pray sometimes, like I feel like, I feel like I'm just kind of like praying to the wall, you know, like I'm not really certain that, that, that this is like a real thing, you know, and like I, sometimes I just wonder if God really exists or if he's really listening, if he really cares and this and this and this. And they're talking, and I know I'm supposed to be there to like swoop in and like like bring the like encouragement and bring the truth and stuff. And I'm sitting there being like, oh, I totally know how you feel. Like I'm in the boat too. We're both rowing side by side with each other in the same boat. Like I, it makes perfect sense. And I wouldn't say that's all the time for me, but there's plenty of times when when I have those struggles relationally with the Lord. And so I was kind of wrestling through some of that and prepping this week, and I was even thinking about like. Uh, like imaginary friends, you know, how, uh, like, I, I don't know, I mean, just a quick survey, raise your hand if when you were a kid you had an imaginary friend and you're not afraid to admit it. Okay, all right, that's a lot of imaginary friends, right? 
Uh, and like, I don't think that I had one. I would have like temporary ones, like if you were like, like playing in the backyard with like a refrigerator box or something, and you like, it was like a fort, and you had all these other people. But never like a like my mom and dad had to set an extra table at dinner for my imaginary friend. Like I never got to that point. How many of you were at that point? I like to see some hands on that one. All right, okay, that's fine. You need to be the first one to step out there and be like, it was me. Um, but how, like, it's funny, and I was even just thinking about, like, how much, uh, like, in movies and TV and stuff like that is so prevalent. I mean, Fight Club, Beautiful Mind, Sixth Sense, Donnie Darko, Drop Dead Fred, right? There's all these things where, like, oh, imaginary friends, imaginary friends. And what about Mr. Snuffleupagus? Anybody remember him? Who, whose imaginary friend was he? Big Bird, exactly. And it was, I, I got online last night and was reading, and in 1986, the Sesame Street people were like, okay, Snuffleupagus doesn't need to be an imaginary friend to Big Bird. But that's what he was for a long time. As they're like talking, Snuffleupagus would walk away, and other people would come up, and he would be like, Big Bird would go to reference him. You might remember this? He would reference him, and people were like, who are you talking about? He's like, Mr. Snuffleupagus. And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Nobody ever saw him for a long, long time. And he was his imaginary friend. And there came a point where they realized, uh, and they like brought this into the uh, very dense plot of Sesame Street. And they were like, okay, he can't be an imaginary friend anymore. And you know why? Because kids are going to stop trusting adults. They're going to stop trusting adults. If it turns out that this, this person is, like, we can see him, kids can see him, and they know he exists, but nobody else believes Big Bird, and they, they realize they're just going to create these really weird narratives for kids. And so they, like, did a big plot twist, and somebody saw him for the first time. Like, he does exist. And then he became a regular staple, which is why some of you don't know that he was an imaginary friend, and if you do, it's because you were born before 1986. And that's okay. But even, even the people at Sesame Street were like, man, there's something, something unhealthy about this imaginary like, reality that people are living in, that they're basing their whole lives off of this. And all these movies that, that we're so fascinated by, uh, there's just also something weird. And I think that there's a part of us that, that can kind of connect sometimes because there are, there's just this, this thing that we don't ever want to talk about in church. And, and, and here's, here's what it is. There is, there is a mysterious element to walking with the Lord. There are intangibles that come with a relationship with God. It's not like your relationships with your friends or with your spouse or with your kids or with your coworkers. It's not like that. There is, there is some overlap, but for the most part, it's completely different. And there is a degree of putting ourselves out there into the mystery, into the unknown that comes with it. And so rather than that being something that we maybe push back from or don't want to talk about, I, I think what God is going after in the Scriptures is telling us, you just need to own it. Because He's left some gray in there. He's made a lot of things black and white. But a relationship with Him, like a real relationship with Him, there is some mystery to it. And He's asking us to step into that unknown and trust that we're not just praying to the air. And that we're not just, we haven't just created this imaginary figure that's out there controlling and guiding the universe and us. I think he's asking, we, he's like, you have to trust. Now, he's given us plenty of black and white stuff, plenty of things that we have seen. There is an element of unseen in a relationship with God 
that we have to just admit, like, yeah, it's a little strange sometimes. It's a little difficult sometimes. And there are times when my gravitation toward the advice of other people, my gravitation toward, uh, like, the tangible things are because he seems to be so intangible and I'm uncomfortable with that. And I really just, I want something that seems more solid at times. I want someone I can sit across the table from. I want someone I, that I can listen to. I want someone that will actually hug me. I don't want an imaginary friend. I don't want the intangibles. I want something black and white. And I, you know what? I don't think that God is mad at us for that. I don't think that he's shaking his head being like, come on, get with it. You know, When are you going to get it straight? I wholeheartedly believe that he's a lot more understanding with us than we maybe sometimes make him out to be, or sometimes that we, we have created maybe him to be in the church. I think he's a lot more understanding. But also, I think he's drawing us into the unknown in ways that are very important. Because faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we're hoping that God really is who he said he is, and, and the, 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 in the ways that we cannot see that there are things happening. And so we look around at what we can see and we move into the unknown that's ahead of us and we're trusting that when we're praying, like, yeah, he's listening. That it really does, like in Revelation, where it says that the prayers of the saints are, are held in, in these bowls. Believing that that's true. That Jesus is there interceding for us, that, um, that, that He's sending the Spirit to lead us into the truth, that all these things, that they really are true. But there is an element of faith to it that we're not going to get around. And I know sometimes we spend a lot, a, lot of, a lot of energy trying to work faith out of the equation, trying to under, have to understand every little thing, and, and it's exhausting because God's just not going to do it. Like He's going to leave that gray because He's like, you're just going to have to trust me. I've given you plenty of evidence and plenty of, of seen things and experiences, plenty of reasons for you to trust me, but when it comes to this gray, I'm going to leave it there. And you ain't getting around it. Because you're going to have to trust me. So if you've ever kind of been in that position where you're just like, just kind of struggling with that element in a relationship with God that doesn't always seem to make a whole lot of sense, you're definitely not alone. And Jesus is not mad at you, and he's not frustrated. Jesus does want to lead you through the gray. And I believe he's set us up to be able to do that, and he's given us a community to do this together with one another in a way that's just really, really beautiful. And so I was thinking through all those things and really just kind of working toward the message, and, and just this, all this stuff that I just said was just kind of just rolling through my mind. Um, so I was like, okay, where... So where do we go in the scriptures next? They have, they have to go somewhere, you know. Can't just be like, well, just trust him in the gray, and then in Jesus' name, amen, and walk away. You know, there's got to be something. There are a lot of places we could have gone, but we're going to go to Proverbs 3, uh, to a text that's probably somewhat familiar. Uh, so let's go ahead and turn there together, because I believe that this can help us. As far as, okay, what does a, what does a personal relationship look like? That here we are, we want to, we want to be described like, like Enoch, right? You want someone to stand up at your memorial service. And be like, I tell you one thing. She walked with God. He walked with the Lord. 
Who wouldn't want that said, said of them, you know? And so there's this element of faith. But God has put things together in such a way that He has helped us do so in a very informed way. Look at Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. What was a straight path? I don't know if this is part of why He took me here and us here, but straight path, Enoch walked with God, leading down paths of righteousness for His namesake. I mean, these are all ideas that are very consistent very familiar. And so here's Solomon passing this on, this wisdom. And I think it describes uh, the internal and external stuff about a relationship with God. Look at verse 5. If you want to walk with the Lord down that straight path, Solomon says, first of all, you've got to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So the trust part, I mean, that's, that's the faith that we've been talking about. Right? It's just this choosing to believe, like Abel did, that God is exactly who He said He is, that the things He's made promises about in His character and the ways He's interacting with the world and the ways He's going to take care of us as those plans unfold. The things from Isaiah 43 that our community groups went through this week and that choosing to believe in an assured and confident way, yeah, that's who He is. And the conviction of things unseen, just believing that He's doing some stuff, we can't see it, we're moving forward. So it's that kind of trust in the Lord. I think sometimes the, the struggle comes with the last part of the sentence, trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. I think that, that in a relationship with God, like in, as we're walking with God as Enoch did, that's probably the hard part. It's, it's this like holistic trust that we place in Him, that we're called to place in Him. And that, that, that's what a healthy relationship with God looks like. It's, it's everything. It's not, it's not trusting the Lord when you're feeling really strong. You know? It's not trusting the Lord when things are going right. Uh, it's not trusting the Lord mostly... Uh, it's trusting the Lord with all of your heart. Sometimes we have a lot of trust on a Sunday, you know, maybe on a community group night, you know, or maybe maybe you have a good, just a really good time with the Lord on a Thursday, you know, and you're like trusting the Lord on a Thursday. It's like, well, yeah, but not only on a Thursday, you know. We're going for this this consistent, holistic trust. It doesn't, it's not hot and cold, you know. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm really on fire right now. And they're like, oh, I'm really distant. I'm really trusting him here. I'm really not trusting him here. And it's not trust, like, uh, like I, th- I think some people um, have this stuff. I, like I know I'm one, I'm one of those folks where, where like, I feel like I'm trusting him wholly in some areas of life, but not necessarily in other areas of life. Like I've said this before, I have, n- I have no problems trusting the Lord with like as a like as an elder of this church, you know. Like I I look at this and I'm like, I understand that he's the boss, he's the head of this church, not me, not the elders. Uh, we've we've taken steps of faith, we've moved, you know, three times and we've taken on stuff 
with you know stuff with Hope of Life in in, in India and made changes recently that uh, you know who knows how it's going to turn out. I don't have a problem trusting him with you, uh, but I don't always apply that to my own life and my own stuff. You know, that's part of the tension that I have, and I think sometimes that's how people are. Is 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 you're like oh, I really trust him with uh, with uh, I trust him with this and with this and with this, but not so much with this. Like I'm going to kind of keep an eye on this, a little control over this. Um, you know, like I trust him with, with my uh, with my parents and with my siblings. I trust him with I trust him at work, pretty much. But like, not so much with my kids. My kids are my kids, and finances. Uh, you know, I'm pretty good with money, so I'm going to kind of you know. We kind of section things off that way. What God's telling us through Solomon's wisdom is, no, a relationship with God, a walk with God, it's your entire life, and it's, it's just consistent. It's all the time. Uh, it's not streaky. You know, it's, it's there. And that's what we're going for. Like, that's what we want. And so here's, you know, there's, like I said, there's some black and white stuff. There's this gray. And so Jesus is, like, leading us into the gray, and he's not mad because we're kind of worried about it sometimes. Uh, he's like, you, you need to just trust me with all your heart, with your whole life. And so if you're looking at that and you're like, you're like I'm not there, I'm not there. Okay? Like I said earlier, Jesus is not like telling you, to, well, you wait outside until you're, till you're there and then you can come in. He's like, no, no, come on. Walk, for, walk through it. Like, let me lead you through it and you'll be different on the other side, you know. You still might not be exactly where you want to be, but you'll be where I want you to be, and that's, that's cool. Because Jesus is real into, the, he's real into journeys uh, as much as he is into destinations. And so uh, I think that that's just important. You know, in, in Mark chapter 9, there's, there's this, just this really great interaction between Jesus and this guy. This guy wants Jesus to do something, and uh, Jesus is like, well, I can, I can do it if you believe. And he's like, heck yeah, I believe. But I kind of don't believe a little bit too. He's like, "Will you help me with my unbelief?" What, what a great prayer! And it's probably not prayed nearly enough by us. It's probably not spoken up enough about. Help my unbelief. I mean, what a great, what a great dialogue to have with your close friends and family, within your community group, with those you're walking through life with. To be like, this is, what, this is what he's leading me into, and, and here's, here's, uh, here's why I'm having no problem believing it, and here's my unbelief. This is where I need him to help me with my unbelief. And so he's making you and me, or he's making us into the kind of people who trust him with all of our hearts, that walk with him steadily and consistently. So that's a part of a relationship with him, is, is letting him mold us and shape us into exactly that. So that's part of that's one of the first like internal thing is trusting him with all your heart. The second thing uh, that's also internal is the next part: do not lean on your own understanding. You don't rely on your own understanding. Over the summer, we went through the book of James, which is wisdom literature, just like Proverbs. And a part of what James touches on is like he at one point in the third chapter he's like, hey. Some of you guys, your lives are all chaotic, and you know why? It's because you're, you're seeking wisdom from the wrong place. You're looking at wisdom that comes from the world instead of w- wisdom that comes from the Lord. 
And that's why your lives are crazy. Modern day would be like, hey, you're getting, you're getting all your advice off of Facebook, and you wonder why things are weird all the time. Facebook is not reliable. It's not trustworthy. Facebook did not create the universe. It does not sustain things. Facebook is not your prophet, priest, and king. That worldly wisdom is not what we seek. But yet, oftentimes, we do this very thing that Solomon's saying, don't do. We rely on our own understanding of things. And here's, the, here's something that I think we all need to like, get on the same page about and try to stay there is the fact that we won't lean on our own understanding when we keep exactly who he is like in full view of it's right in front of us, you know. So when we take our eyes off of that, that we get, we, so we start thinking that we're like pretty awesome and pretty smart, and we can kind of figure it out. But when we live in the fullness of who He is, we're like, whoa, okay, all right. And then we're very slow to rely on our own understanding. And so those two things, like they go together, a lot. So you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You can't trust Him with all of your heart if you're being totally self-reliant. They're in conflict with each other. So if you struggle with holistic trust, then it's probably because you're being very self-reliant. Your own understanding of things. But they parallel each other. So don't just be like, Lord, help me with my unbelief, but then be unwilling to work on the things that are creating the unbelief. They go together. And so as you're walking with him, this is what he's helping you to do, is he's helping you and I to see him for who he really is. And then, then you have an accurate view of yourself, and you're like, oh man, why would I rely on my own understanding when you are holy and perfect and created everything, and you, don't, you know what's coming up next, but I don't, and you're willing to guide me through it. Why in the world would I be self-reliant in that? And so that's the internal struggle that we have in this relationship is trusting him holistically not trusting ourselves at all that's what we're going for and so in this relationship he's really saying like that's exactly who I'm going to make you into I'm going to make you like everything that you want to see about your life happen I'm going to help you uh, that is going to happen because Jesus wants that for your life and for my, my life way more than way more than we do uh, which is kind of hard to believe at times and so I think that as, as much as like, we look at this at a verse like, you know, you know verse 5, we're like, holistic trust, no self-reliance, and you're kind of like, yeah, I want that. And Jesus is like infinitely more excited about this than you are for you. Because that's how he made you. He's like, yes, that's exactly how I created you to be. Not relying on you, but relying on me because I'm awesome. And you're awesome because I say you're awesome, but you're not as awesome as you think you are. So let me put everything into like, the right frame of reference so you can see just the fullness of creation in the right ways. So that's the internal struggle. And then in verse 6, there's this external deal. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. So let's assume that, that, that the internal stuff is working out. That as we're walking with Him, that that's... That's the perspective that we're bringing to the table. Is I desire complete, consistent trust and zero self-reliance. And Jesus is like, awesome, I do too. So your internal stuff, you're good to go. Okay, so what do I do? You know, like, 
I'm, I'm a hands-on person. What do I need to do? It's like, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Alright, so what, is, what does that mean? I think, there's two, I think there's two ways that we can look at it, and I think they're both right. Uh, one would be um, that you acknowledge Him, like you involve Him in everything that you are doing all the time. That you don't have these like, things that you're, as you're walking along, where you're like walking and walking and walking, and you're like, okay, you stay here. I'm going to go handle this, and then I'll come back, and we'll, then we'll pick up where we left off. And he's like, no, 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 it's a, in all your ways, like, you're going to acknowledge me. So we're going to walk together uh, throughout every moment of every day. Uh, we're going to walk together through everything you go through emotionally and everything regarding, you know, your, like, questions about the Lord and all that kind of stuff. We're going to walk through everything relationally, like, everything that's going on. We're going to walk together through this. You're going to acknowledge me. You're going to bring me into everything. And that's what it means. So that's where the relationship with God kind of starts to be a little bit of a challenge because we love to involve Him in certain areas of life but not other areas of life. And that's when the external points back toward the internal things, verse 5. And like, yeah, there's not holistic trust because you're being self-reliant about something. And so as you're walking, He's able to like tell you that stuff. I was like, what do you mean he tells you that stuff? Exactly what I said. He tells you that stuff. That you get this sense uh, as you begin to involve him in different things, exactly what needs to be adjusted and corrected and those kind of things. It's like, okay, well, how does that work? Well, it's, that's, why we, that's why we pray. And that's why we listen. And that's why we read the scriptures. And that's why we get together in groups and talk about our walks with the Lord, and we talk about what the Bible has to say, and we talk about those He's sending us uh, to care for and love well. We, we do all these things together. There are things that we do, and in all of those things, we're acknowledging Him in those ways. We're bringing Him into those situations. We're asking Him what He thinks. What do you think about this situation at work? What do you think about this financial uh, you know, mess I've gotten myself into? What do you think about how, to, how we should handle discipline with our kids in this situation? What do you think about my career path? What do you think about this group project where the whole group wants to cheat except for me? What do you think about this conflict with my roommates? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? What does the Bible say about this? What do people who I know, they also walk with the Lord. What did their experiences speak into that? What are the voices in my life that I trust deeply? What do they have to say? What does godly wisdom look like? What does worldly wisdom look like? So I can know like, what to completely like, crush and bury and what godly wisdom looks like that I can really just saturate myself in. You're bringing him into everything. And at first it probably seems weird. And that's where that faith element comes, comes into play of, of trusting that, that when you bring him in, he makes a difference. And at first you might be like, man, it's just really weird to, to pray about finances. I'm like, well, yeah. Until you prayed about finances for a couple weeks, faithfully and steadily, and then it becomes really normal. You're like, yeah, well, I don't really hear him speaking into anything about my finances. It's like, yeah, well, you've got to give it, give it time to be able to learn what his voice sounds like, how he leads you in that. Everything is kind of strange at first, but 
then it gets to be really normal, and that's when you're really walking with the Lord in those things. And he'll start to work out those self-reliance issues and those holistic trust issues from verse 5 as you are acknowledging him in all those ways. And so the, the disciplines and those kind of things, they're not things that like good Christian kids do so you can check that off your list. It's like, no, that's, that's where that intimacy with God comes from. So I think God's telling us in this verse, He's like, no, I want you to acknowledge me. I want you to, to intentionally involve me and ask me what I think about things. And you should probably start with the things that you never, ever, ever ask Him about. Acknowledge me. Bring me in. The second way of looking at acknowledge me in all your ways is to look at the fact that, that Christ wants to be exalted in every area of life. He's not just looking to be exhausted, exhausted, exalted evangelistically, but not in your dating relationship. That's not how it works. You know, he doesn't want you to just do a really good job of loving on your coworkers, but then you go home and you're a complete maniac and a jerk. That's not how it works. In every area of life, that's what he's wanting to do. He's like, acknowledge me. Bring me into every bit of it. And then the last, he'll make your path straight. That's what we want, right? We want, a, we want a straight path. We want to know, what do I do next? How do I move into the unknown of the future? What does the path of righteousness look like? What do I do? In these two simple verses, he basically says this. Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to trust and I want you to obey. And then I want you to let me do my thing, which is to guide you and to, and to empower you. You do this, I do this. We walk through life. You get to know me. I already know you. You need to get to know me. We walk and we walk and we walk and we walk. Next thing you know, those inconsistencies start to level out. Things that used to be weird are not weird anymore. That imaginary friend you know, kind of vibe of wondering if he's there, you start to just live by faith and you realize, like, man, I, really, I don't feel like Jesus is near, but I know that he's near. I know my feelings aren't reliable when it comes to that. Like, man, my circumstances sure are telling me that karma is true, but I know greater that karma is not true. And that God's in, He's over all things, and he's, he's good, and I'm good. It's okay. And you realize, when you walk in, in the, the goodness and the fullness of God, it's the way that you were created. You know, Jesus tells us... Uh, there's two very powerful images that he uses. Um, at one point he says, uh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The coming after him, that's a call to discipleship. And so you would follow a rabbi around and you would, you've heard me say this before, you would, you'd watch everything that they would do, you'd listen to everything that they said and, and your goal was to imitate your rabbi down to the most minute degree because you want to be just like him. So he's saying, come after me. He's basically saying, like, you, want, you, want me, you want to live like I live? Follow me around. In other words, walk with me. If you go to Israel right now, you'll see a rabbi and you'll see a couple of like, teenagers following him behind him. And that's exactly, it's exactly what Jesus says. Come walk with me. The other thing that he says that's equally as powerful, and we looked at it in community groups a few weeks ago, 
Um, he's talking to people who are they're just tired from having to keep all the rules, you know. He says, Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Uh, and he, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And as you may have talked about in your group, you know, you got the two animals in a yoke. You got one that's a veteran, older, stronger, knows the voice of the master. You put a younger, kind of a rookie animal in there in the same yoke, and the rookie learns from the veteran by being like linked to him. Jesus is like, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll be the older, stronger, a little bit smarter than you, veteran ox. And you come get in the yoke with me, and let's be tied together as we walk through life, and you, you learn from me. Because I, I, when the Father says stop, I know, I know the, the signal, but you, maybe, maybe you don't. And when he's, he says go left, I know, I know how to do that, and I'll drag you with me. You'll learn. You'll learn the, the voice of the Father by learning from me. And so he's saying, walk with me. Learn from me. Enoch walked with God down a path of righteousness for his namesake. Jesus invites us into the same thing. So yeah, there's a little, there's, there's, is this element of mystery where we're having to just trust that all this is, is all kind of things are happening in the unseen because he's good. So we look at creation around us and we look at the the things we've experienced, we have experienced, and the experiences of those around us, and we have all kinds of black and white reality. It says, "All right, let's go into the gray. Let's just trust him, because he's that good." Enoch knew it, Abel knew it. Next week we'll talk about how Noah knew it, and you and I can know it. It sounds really strange, but the strangeness wears off the more we walk into it. All right, so I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a little bit and just response. I don't know where it meets you, but you know. Uh, so I'll let you deal with that on your own. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for, um, just for the fact that like, things, things can be really strange to us. Um, and they can just be filled with clarity and precision for you. God, there is definitely comfort that comes from knowing that uh, everything is not a profound mystery to you. And that you have given us uh, everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of you. You who have called us to your own glory, to your goodness. And it's simply from knowing you that we have everything that we need. And so... um, God, I just I confess on behalf of, of all of us that uh, that we have some battles with unbelief that we need some help with, and um, some self reliance that needs to be exposed. So, God, help us as we attempt to acknowledge you in all of our ways, as we look to walk with you side by side. Uh, with you out in front and with you behind us and to our left and to our right as we walk through life and acknowledge you and all these things. God, that we would understand and experience the relationship that you have provided for us through Jesus' death on the cross. 
Help us to live in full view of who you are. To realize that you as our our prophet, our priest, our king, our shepherd, our brother, our father, our friend, that you are there and you value us deeply and it is your desire to be involved in everything that we're walking through. Thank you for your great patience with us as we try and figure this stuff out. Thank you that we can know that you're making us into the kind of people who trust you with all our heart and don't rely on our own understanding. And the kind of people who just naturally acknowledge you in everything and follow you faithfully down the path that's in front of us. And so whatever needs to happen externally or internally, whatever the starting point is for each of us individually, I pray that you would make that clear. But I pray you'd help us just to begin with just some simple responses and song to who you are. And let that truth be transformational for us just from one degree of glory to another. Let's stand together. Let's all stand. Let's just spend a second just thinking about uh, the Just think for a second before we sing the things that you have experienced. Just the, the ways that you know that you know He is there. That all doubts and unbelief aside, what are the things that you can grab onto? And then as we sing in response, uh, just let Him do what He wants as we close out.